a little redundant there, but got the point across. He was not an English professor. Tonight we're going to be in Exodus chapters 5 and 6. Exodus chapters 5 and 6. And uh, here, the people of Israel and Moses as their leader encounter a little bit of a problem. Here's what we learn, though. This little introductory paragraph up at the top. Remember the difference between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent? This, this kind of division that is set up in, in Exodus. Uh, really, it's set up in, in Genesis at the beginning of the creation. Um, there is the serpent uh, and there is Adam and Eve. And these two um, are, are set up as, as opponents and that continues into Exodus. Um, Pharaoh is seen as being the seed of the serpent. He, he works death. He uh, opposes the things of God. But, but then uh, the people of Israel, and certain of them at least, and Moses would be an example of the seed of the woman, um, as in Eve. Since the seed of the serpent is alive and well, there will always be obstacles to overcome in the way of God's ultimate plan and goals. We see that on full display tonight in Exodus 5 and 6. But these obstacles should not intimidate us in light of who God is. It's the character of God that is given to us as the reason that we should not be afraid in light um, or, or in the face of the evil of the enemy. God, He desires to make His name known against the backdrop of adversity and even seeming impossibility. Or here, literal impossibility. As we see many times in Exodus, there are things that were physically, humanly impossible, but God caused them to happen. And so, while our culture seeks to run away from adversity, we realize that many times it's adversity and even impossibility that provide the stage for God to show His glory. He desires to move in such a way that, it, that His movement is unexplainable by any other uh, rationale. So, let's look here in Exodus chapter 5. Um, Let's read the first uh, five verses or so. Afterward, this is uh, Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Okay, this is interesting what's happening here. They're... They're somewhat obeying God, going to Pharaoh, saying to him a sense of what God told them to say, but then they add a little mixture into it. Verse 2, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. 
Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. So, what do we learn here under this kind of, uh, this let my people go? Well, Moses and Aaron attempt, make an attempt at obedience. And we can understand this, because we ourselves are broken people, uh, fearful, fickle, not always knowing exactly what to do. And Moses and Aaron respond in some kind of modified obedience to God. Moses and Aaron seem to modify the words of God in order to get away from Pharaoh, right? They want an exodus. It's the title of the book. They want to get completely out. It's what God told them to do. He said, leave. And they said, hey, Pharaoh. And they try to create this little understandable reason that maybe they can put some distance between them and Pharaoh. Perhaps they thought they could communicate to Pharaoh better than God himself could. They present the threat of pestilence, with pestilence is just a big word for disease and death, right? They present the threat of pestilence, which wasn't part of God's uh, original message. They end up presenting God as harsh and vindictive, remember? Look what he, he says here. Um, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So they're presenting a picture of God that's unique. They end up presenting God as harsh and vindictive while also seeming to approach Pharaoh in a rushed and a really forward way. They just kind of go to Pharaoh and said, you know, um, let us go. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. It's also important to remember here what's going on. The real kind of, not to mix metaphors, but the David and Goliath situation that's happening here. In Egyptian culture, Pharaoh was not just the leader of the nation. He was very much considered a god. He was worshipped by the people. So for Aaron and Moses to say, hey, let us go worship our god, it's almost like saying... You're, you, Pharaoh, you're not the real one. Think about the danger that they're actually uh, putting themselves in the way of here. So for Aaron and Moses to present Yahweh as the one true God, it upset not only Pharaoh's conception of himself, but many just Egyptian ideas of the time. And it says this, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest... From their burdens. This is getting at what Pharaoh's real concern is. That he's going to be hit economically, right? He's got this problem. And the problem is that he's trying to undo the promises of God. God has promised that his people will be fruitful and multiply and that they will become a great nation, that they will become so numerous that you can't number them, that, that the grains of the sand is the only illustration that will be like. What his people will be. Well, Pharaoh finds himself in a little bit of a pickle. Because the bigger they get, the bigger the Israelites get, 
the less control he has over them. That hurts him economically. It hurts him in terms of his power. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. So Pharaoh kind of turns the heat up here. But before I get to that next little section, it is important to see the theme of, as I say, God's promises being partially fulfilled even during this hardship. For one reason or another, it seems like the more that the seed of the serpent tries to fight back, God is still getting His way and His promises are still coming true. The more that the Israelites grow and multiply the more that we see God's plans, God's promises are coming, are coming through and are coming true even in a small way right here. So verses 6 through 20, I'll probably need to read these at length, but this is where Pharaoh kind of turns the heat up. Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters, verse 6, and the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past, but let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. In other words, you, you don't lower their quota a bit. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men so that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Verse 10. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Israel, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves whenever you can find it, wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. So now instead of this being provided for them, you think about stubble. You actually you have to pull it up from the ground, right? It's still kind of stuck in the ground. So they're, they're trying to, to do this very labor-intensive and time-intensive task. The heat has been turned up on them. The taskmasters were urgent, says in verse 13, saying, Complete your work. Your daily task each day is when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now go and work. No straw will be given you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. I know I kind of ventured into the next section, but let's circle back here. Would you consider the discouragement that must have set in here? The people who are supposed to themselves be building themselves up into a, a great nation, they are enslaved to build someone else's kingdom. They're building bricks so that this 
false god, really, Pharaoh, can, can advance his name? Can the situation possibly get any worse? Well, apparently so. Not only do they have to make the bricks, they have to make them without straw. Sometimes, it's true, we bring hardship upon ourselves. And other times, we're made to suffer by no fault of our own. This is an example here in, in Exodus 5 and 6 of the people suffering unjustly. They're suffering at the unjust hand of an unjust king. It says in verse 21, 21 and 22, chapter 5, And they said to them, so it's the people saying to Moses, right? They said to them, the people came up and said to Moses and Aaron, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done this evil to the people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. This is an interesting turn of events. In the midst of this suffering, what do the people do? They turn to their leaders and say, "If it weren't, you know, it's, it's your fault we're in this condition. Really, sometimes, friends, it can be. Sometimes we can just suffer. Sometimes suffering just happens and there's nobody at fault. It makes you feel good to find somebody at fault sometimes. This is an example. They turn to Moses and Aaron and they say, if it weren't for you, we wouldn't have this problem. Well, what do Moses and Aaron do? They do the same thing and they just turn around and say the same thing to God. Say, God, why have you made this happen? Why have you done this to the people? They say, um, they say why have you done this evil to the people? This is very interesting words because we know that God is not the author of evil. Seems to be that Moses is putting God on the hook. The people respond by taking things out on their leaders. They contend that if only they had led well enough, there wouldn't be trouble. The people blaming their leaders, and then the leaders turn around and blaming God is awfully close to what Adam and Eve did. What Adam did is, Lord, if it weren't for the woman that you gave me, this wouldn't have happened. Seems to just recapitulate what happened in the Garden of Eden. Then we cross over into chapter 6. We see a refocus on the character and the promises of God. You see, so far what chapter 5 was is just a, an account of trouble. Things don't look so great. So what's the remedy? We see a little bit of the remedy in chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, that's when you know that a solution is on the way, right? When the chapter begins by saying, but the Lord said... The Lord has been awfully absent in chapter 5, it seems like, as far as absent from the narrative. It's just been about men and them trying to manage the problems and them trying to respond to what is happening to them. And then verse, or chapter 6 comes uh, onto the stage and it says, But the Lord said to Moses, this is what they need in this moment. They need a word from God. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. In other words, not only here's my name, but here's what I've done. Here's why you can trust me. Look back on the history. Remember what I did to your fathers and their fathers. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But, my, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant 
with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel from the Egyptians, uh, the people of of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And so see these verbs again. Moreover, I have heard, it says in verse 4, I established my covenant. I appeared to Abraham. I am the Lord. See these verbs? He's telling us about himself. Verse 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Isn't it interesting how chapter 5 is just one big, I don't know, narrative of a problem. It's one big narrative of a problem. Friends, sometimes I, I think we have to be able to see our problems as opportunities for God to display His glory. And I think that that's what He's teaching us here in chapters 5 and 6. Chapter 5 is one big problem. Chapter 6 is one big movement of God to redeem it. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord. The words of God are always the sure source of truth and enlightenment in our dark situations. The Lord said to Moses, so up to this point, it's the people trying to manage their situation, but once, once Moses approached the Lord about it, the Lord replied with the truths that the people needed to cling to. Does that make sense? He said, here's our problem. Moses approaches the Lord. The Lord says, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to remember. Here's what you need to rehearse and preach to yourself daily. So for this moment, the people are allowed to remain in an unpleasant situation. Notice, the exodus didn't happen right away. You know? It's like, you know, I, I always get in trouble recommending movies. I'm not recommending a movie, but let's say you've seen this movie. A bunch of sinners. The Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you've ever seen it on TV. I would suggest watching the TV edit. Um, but he gets out of prison, right, by scratching his way through a wall. And, and he gets this little hammer, this little, I don't know, it's, it's only about that long. And he scratches away through like a, a soapstone wall or, or some kind of really sedimentary rock. It's very, you know, he discovers that the, that the walls are made of like nothing. This rock, this, this, it's not even concrete. And he bores his way. It took him, I don't know, years and years to get through. And then at the end of the movie, you know, the, 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 um, the warden, who was a, you know, a, a wicked guy, uh, underhanded guy, but he, you know, he had a Bible, plays on this irony. Um, he finds, instead of his ledger book and his safe, he finds his, his Bible. And he opens up the Bible and it's, it turns to the book of Exodus. And it's a hollowed out shape 
of that hammer that he used to get out. You know? Well, how many years did it take him to bore through that wall? It took years to bore through that wall. And, and again here, the exodus doesn't happen right when God speaks. There's a delay. And friends, we live in the same delay right now. That we live in what the theologians call the already but the not yet. Jesus has already saved us. He's already died on the cross. He's already justified everyone who would believe in Him. It's been already done to telestai, right? This Greek word that, that, that Jesus Himself says on the cross that means it is finished. It's already been done, but we're not, we're not there yet, are we? We're also not in heaven completely. I don't know if you've noticed, this world is not heaven, right? Uh, it is a little short of the mark, to say the least. So God here inaugurates what He's going to do. He's inaugurated, He set the ball in motion, but the exodus hasn't happened yet. The people are allowed, are allowed to be left in an uncomfortable situation. You know when this kind of thing really hits home? This kind of thing really hits home when a problem comes into your life and you don't have the ability to run away from it. We've kind of gotten ourselves in, in, in situations. We, 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 we so value comfort and things, I think, in our culture that there are a lot of our problems that we're just simply able to run away from. And then sometimes the nature of the problem is such that you can't get away from it at all. And that's the kind of situation that the Israelites are in. They can't just tap out. They have to endure and they have to remember who their God is. God allows them to stay in this situation. And so I think what we learn is this. Your unfair circumstances are not necessarily a commentary on who God is. In other words, if you, if you look at your situation and then take your situation and think, That's, you know, this, is, this is who God is, we're going to draw some wrong conclusions. Your unfair situation isn't necessarily a commentary on who God is. He can be good and we can be uncomfortable at the same time. Does that make sense? And the reason for that is many times He wants to show us His goodness in the midst of our discomfort. He says this again in verse 8, I am the Lord. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. This phrase seems to serve as a bookend to God. Uh, to, to, I'm sorry, to God reminding them of, uh, of who they are and of who He is. It's put here in verse 2, I am the Lord. And later here in verse 8, I am the Lord. It's like this little, I don't know, in commentaries they call it like an inclusio sometimes, like a bookend. <clears throat> and then God recounts His acts in history. Remember, he tells him what kind of God he is. He doesn't just say, I am the Lord. He says, I'm the Lord who, who appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
I established my covenant with them and gave them the land of Canaan. Moreover, I have heard their groaning. Their groaning. So he, he tells them about what kind of God he is and what kind of God he is can be seen in his great acts of history. And we, uh, There's a psalm that I think points to this. It's in Psalm 78. I'll just read that for our benefit. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. I will open my mouth, my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but we will tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. In other words, the things that God has done in the Bible, we need to be passing on to the next generation and the things that God has done in your life. You need to make a record of it. Write it down. And then remember to tell them about how God has moved in your life. We learn in verse 5, I have heard, I have remembered. Verse 6, there's a prescription given. Remind them of who I am. And then verse 7, a promise. I will take you to be my people. Friends, this reminds us of the overarching theme of Exodus. While it is a story of God taking a people out of a bad situation, of, of, of a people getting out and getting away and going far, it is, also, it is also a story of God coming near. It's not just a story of an escape. It's, an, it's a story of God drawing near to His people. And He does that. And we'll get to see that as we continue to march through this. The last thing we learn about is the fickle, unbelieving nature of humans. Um, let's see. Let's pick up in verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh the king to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land. And then... If we can skip way down to verse 28, close out the chapter. There's some different uh, genealogies there that are important. Uh, but uh, time and space dictate certain things to us. Verse 28. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, all that I say to you. In other words, Moses... The reason that you can be brave and do what I say is not because of you, but is because of who I am. I am the Lord. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? The chapter closes with Moses continuing in this hardness of heart, in this fear, which we understand. I mean, goodness, I understand it closes with Moses responding and just this unbelief. He still doesn't, 
even, even through the signs that God has given, you know, the, the hand that became leprous when he pulled it out of his cloak and the staff that turned into a serpent and all of these things, still fickle and unbelieving. These reminders are absolutely necessary for us. Even Moses, who had an extraordinary encounter with God, still doubts. The application for us, I would say this, let us repent of unbelief. Ask God to remind us of His character and to give us grace to believe it deeply. Ask God to root out unbelief in our hearts. Why? Because this is certainly a work that He desires to do. Friends, let's pray. Miss Dawn, I believe, will come and lead us in a moment of reflection. During that moment of reflection, I'm just going to take the same posture that you have on this front pew. I'm just going to sit and reflect. I'm certainly available to you, but let's just respond to the Lord and ask Him to do His work in our hearts. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the opportunity to come and to be sharpened again, twice in one day, sharpened by the Word of God. Lord, we have so many needs. We're needy. We're fickle. We are unbelieving. We're fearful. We're doubtful. We are oftentimes discouraged even. But Lord, in light of who you are, all of these things matter not one bit. So God, would you instill in us such a deep apprehension of your character? Would you just infuse inside of every fiber of our being a trust and a confidence in what kind of God you are? We need this, Lord. We need it desperately. I need it. I need it to do the things that you've called me to do. Would you give us a sense, give us a vision of who you are? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.